Good morning, JD. Good morning. Good to see you. It's good to see you too, Jim. Did you have a good weekend? I did have a good weekend. Yeah. How about yourself? You're great. Great weekend. Yeah. Spring break this week. Yeah. Do you have any plans? Uh, no. No. <laughs> None. <laughs> None. How about you? I mean, spring break doesn't really matter for me, so no, I don't have any plans. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, we might eat out at like fast food a couple times or something with my son. But other than that, okay, because he's into burgers and, and I'm into burgers. Nice. I know that's not your thing, but yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So this Sunday, uh, we looked at um, Jesus, uh, the friend of sinners. That Jesus, was, friend uh, of sinners. Yeah. yeah. How'd that mm-hmm. go? It went really well. Yeah. I liked talking about it. Yeah. I don't know. I really enjoy this series, talking about the different aspects of who Jesus is. And so, um, yeah, I had a good, good time. And I think we both preached from the same Bible passage on this one, right? Luke chapter five. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, what a what a, an incredible passage, and and it's also uh, found in Matthew and in Mark. Mm-hmm. But uh, Matthew actually, though, uh, instead of saying Levi, it says his name was Matthew. Hmm. What do you do with that? I don't know. I mean, that happens all the time in the Bible, right? So the genealogies just don't add up, so you have to pick one or the other. Or maybe Matthew's like, no, it's me. Um, it was really me. That, <laughs> it wasn't Levi. It was really me. Well, yeah, it's because the books of the Bible are written, what, 40, 50 years later. So I'm sure people forgot yeah. or, you know, no, it was me. No, it was him. And there's probably team Matthew, team Levi. Or it could be that Matthew and Levi are the same person. It was just kind of. That could be yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to like have a good answer for it. Oh, no, I don't have a good answer. Yeah. I mean, the Bible is very, very confusing and the genealogies just don't match up sometimes. So what do you do with it? I don't know. That's just what it is. Yeah. Well, anyway. But anyways, uh, yeah. That's not what, that's not what we wow. talked about. Not at all. What did you talk about? Tell, tell us a little bit about it. Um, so talking about Jesus the friend. The, the five-minute version. The five. <laughs> I'm going to keep it a little bit shorter this time. Just kidding. Yeah. Um, Actually, I love it when you, when you uh, yeah. kind of expound on, on what you talked about because it, it really helps me understand where you're thought yeah. process is. Well, I started by telling the story of, so I'm a military brat. My dad was in the Air Force. Um, and my brother and I, we counted up. And my sister, I'll have to count up with her when she's out of school. But we counted up. And we each had gone to 18 plus schools wow. um, over the course of our life. And so th- thinking about Jesus, the friend, I was thinking about every single place that I've been, the friends that I would make. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I going to a new place, I had to make a friend really fast, right? And so... Uh, I told the story. I thought about how every single school that I went to at different periods in my life, the friends that I would make it would always be bonding over a hard or difficult time or a hard, difficult experience uh, where I could fully be myself or someone who is in, you know, sort of a position like myself. And so I was talking about how those that was how those friendships um yeah, it developed as, you know, where I could truly be myself. And so then uh, going into the sermon, you know, did some exegesis talking about how tax collectors were absolutely hated back yeah. then. And for good reason, they pretty much just betrayed their people. Um, they betrayed their Jewish people and started working for the Romans. Um, huge betrayal. And how the disciples um, would have been completely ticked off at that. Like, Jesus, what are you doing? Because, you know, the disciples, they hated the Samaritans. And we heard about that last week from right. Patrick, they would have hated tax collectors just as much because tax collectors were Jews, but they were Jews that betrayed Jews, you know? And so anyways, I'm talking about how here's this guy who's outcast from society because he's a terrible guy. Um, But Jesus says, looks at him and says, follow me. Yeah. Right. Right? And then he invites him over for dinner. Um, 
So he's obviously comfortable because he invites his friends, you know, and it, yeah, so it's, it's talking about Jesus, the friend. And then I, I did a little digging back before that passage, talking about how Jesus healed the leper, Jesus healed the paralytic coming down. Um, so Jesus calling to him saying, come follow me, um, how Jesus is a forgiving God, how Jesus is God. Jesus extends that forgiveness, not just physical healing, but that forgiveness. And that's what allows him to be our friend is the fact that he can forgive us. We can fully be ourselves. Mm in his presence. Um, and so that's hopefully the two minute version. Yeah, that's good. That's what good. about you? What's well, the- I, so we, we, uh, similar thing, although I wasn't a military brat or anything like that, but, <laughs> but, um, I, one of the things that I kind of touched on is the fact that, um, Levi, mm-hmm. uh, wasn't qualified to be a disciple oh, yeah. in any way. I mean, you know, because Jesus picked him up while he was still, you know, doing his thing he's still collecting taxes he's still betraying the jews he's still hated and yet jesus at that point says follow me and be my disciple Hmm. um what version did you use esv i always use esv yeah yeah. um in the nlt it it says um follow me and be my disciple Hmm. which uh you know to follow jesus is to be his disciple so i mean you know if we're going to get technical but at the same time um, yeah, the, the other disciples, uh, they must've looked at that and been like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's related to that. Um, I came up with, well, I, it sounds silly now saying it on Monday, you know how you, you think of something and you're like excited to say it on Sunday yeah. and then Monday you're like, well, I'm not sure if that was as cool as I thought it was, oh, really? uh, <laughs> but related exactly to that, that God's call in our life is prescriptive. It's not descriptive. Yeah. God's call is prescriptive, not descriptive because he wasn't prepared. You know, like he wasn't prepared at all. He was a tax collector. He was not worthy of following Jesus. Um, And I related it to myself. I have zero experience church planning. Like I don't. I took zero classes. I've never planted a church before. I'm totally unqualified to be out at Skyrocket. Yeah, you are. Just to be quite frank and quite honest. Um, But but who would be qualified? Exactly. Well, and that's that's the thing. It's it's the same thing with marriage. I'm totally unqualified to be a husband. I was never ready, and I don't think I ever would be ready, you know, if I waited till I was ready. But it's the best things in life are prescriptive, not descriptive. You know, it's we're not worthy, but that's what makes it so beautiful is when we're called to these beautiful, magnificent things. Yeah, so we talked about that too, uh, the difference between being prescriptive and descriptive and and how the the invitation to follow Jesus – is prescriptive in that um, this is who we want to be. This hmm. is who we want to become, but it might not be descriptive for a while. I mean, yeah, hmm. for a long time, even, yeah. you know, depending <laughs> upon you know where where Jesus finds us and and, and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, and that's good. so that's so that's awesome that you guys touched. That's so comforting, you know, to know that yeah, it's prescriptive. This is what we're supposed to be, but that God gives us a little bit of time, you know, that there's still grace. There's grace in the invitation, but there's also grace along the sanctification process too. Yeah. Is, I mean, I know I need it. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, uh, maybe, um, maybe it takes longer to be descriptive than, than we yeah. even understand. I mean, I don't know. There, there's times when I can be described as one thing and then in a moment, I'm not described yeah. as that anymore, you know. Yeah. Uh, we 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 talked a little bit, or I talked a little bit about how um, you, uh, sometimes we think we have to get our act together. In fact, a lot of people say I have to get my act together mm-hmm. before I start going to church or start following Christ or whatever. Yeah. And uh, and I think that's just you know, for one, it's not true. Mm-hmm. We don't have to get our act together first. And um, secondly. 
you know, as we follow Christ, maybe our act does come together. But but the thing that I touched on too, and maybe you did, is is the fact that maybe that's the wrong question. Maybe it's not about getting our act together because mm. that's acting. You know. Yeah. And uh, oh, I love that. That it's not about getting our act together. Yeah. I, how I like to imagine it, it's almost like a road. It's almost like a journey. It's the direction we're headed following Jesus. And we're still going to be falling down all the time. We're still going to be scraping our knees, you know, but it's the direction that we're headed, not the success or how fast we're traveling. Um, here's a question. So you said a lot of people have that misconception. I have to get my act together before coming. Why do you think that is? Like, why do people feel that way? I think we know just enough to, um, to know when we're not doing right or when we're not uh, living in the way that, we, you know, we believe we should live a certain way, but we're, we know we're not living mm. up to that. And so uh, we think we have to get, get things right so that now we qualify in some way. Mm. Um, now that's not true. It's not, it's not uh, biblically true of, of what it is to be a Christ follower mm. uh, because throughout scripture we see people, were not qualified or, or were walking in a different direction and then they turned and started following Christ and, and that was the, the pivot moment for them. Um, but we oftentimes, uh, maybe we've been following Christ and we've slidden, slidden is that a word? <laughs> we, we slid away or, or we, we started doing something that we know that you know it, it disqualifies us in some way. And so then we've, we know right from wrong and we know we've been doing wrong so now it's time to you know get it back together. And, uh, and that can be really hard to do, mm -hmm. you know, to think I have to walk away from this and putting that pressure. And then when you don't live up to that, that shame and that guilt, and then it's almost like a negative feedback spiral because you're like, I want to do this cause I do want to go to church and get my act together. And then of course you fail cause we're all sinners. Yeah. And then you're like, well now I can't. And then you just lose hope and it's yeah, shame produces spiral. more shame, yeah. which produces more shame. And then, so it's sort of self-imposed. Yeah. Although I, yeah. Do you think part of it also is from, I don't know. Do you think part of it's from the church too or not? Cause I feel like maybe it used to be, but now, so it's more self-imposed. I don't know. I'm just brainstorming. I think most of it is self-imposed too. Are there any other elements as to why people think they have to get their act together before coming to church? You know, I think, um, that's a great question. Really good question. I think that maybe, uh, in times past, when this was more of a Christian culture, and I don't know there was ever really a Christian culture yeah. in the Pacific Northwest, mm -hmm. but um, in much of the country, when when the culture was much more Christian, um, the church kind of expected the culture to live up to mm -hmm. uh, a certain standard. Even if they're not Christians, we still expected you to live yeah. like mm -hmm. uh, the Judeo-Christian value system. Uh, and, and so there's this idea that you're supposed to be better than this. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I, I, I totally get that it's almost cultural, but it, it feels to me, that's why I'm sort of asking it as a question that that's fading or it's slipping or yeah. it's not like that as much anymore. Yeah. I think that's true. Uh, for sure. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see what else did I touch on? Oh yeah. So I, uh, I did a little breakdown and maybe you did this too about uh, some of the, you know, the most hated people in, in scripture were um, thieves, murderers, mm -hmm. and tax collectors. So those were the highest, uh, you know, the, in scripture we see that over and over again. Yeah. Those were the hated people. And so I did a breakdown and discovered that nurses uh, are trusted 81% you know, of people believe in nurses. <laughs> Doctors are 67% trusted. 
grade school teachers. So those three are, are the, the highest. Are you about to share the lowest trusted? Can I guess what they are? Yeah. Politicians, ahead. lawyers, and I don't know, government, IRS. No, no, it's uh, what member, are members of Congress. So you got politicians. That was 9%. Uh, car salespeople <laughs> <laughs> at 8%. I know. I'm That's fearful. actually very understandable. Yeah. And then lobbyists came in at 5%. Okay. Yeah. Which I've never met a lobbyist. Have you ever? No, I haven't. I mean, if you're a lobbyist, you have to be in Washington, D.C., and I've never lived there. Or you don't have to, but that's just my conception of what a lobbyist is, right? Right. Although they're probably across the country lobbying. I don't know. Yeah. I try to stay out of it. So pastors, though, the the interesting thing is clergy came in at a 36%, uh, you know, kind of trusted approval rating, if you would. Yeah, trusted. Um, but that's exactly uh, according to yesterday's statistic. At mm-hmm. when, I, when I looked, you know, Sunday morning, I looked, and uh, President Biden is also at thirty six percent. So there you go. So we're, we're all in line with the president. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Why do you think that is? Why do you think pastors aren't? Because I, I guarantee you, thirty years ago, forty years ago, that number would have been way higher. Yeah. So why do you think pastors are not trusted? Yeah. I I think I, part of it's the scandals. Yeah, right? I do too. I do too. Uh, right now, there's a uh, documentary about Hillsong. Okay. And yeah. that's you told me yeah. That's another scandal. No, I told you No, you told me about the Mar- Mar- Mars Mars Hill, Hill podcast, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is, you know, scandalist or scandalism scandal. <laughs> which of the many sc- sc- it's very which scandalous. of the many scandals is it? That's a- <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, right? I mean, you can name uh That's the problem one right after there. another after another. Yeah. And and then people look and they say, yeah, they're I don't trust those people. Yeah. And um and I get it. You know, I get it. So we look at, you know, church attendance. And, of course, we've been through this pandemic. And when I say church attendance, I'm not even talking just about, you know, our churches. Uh, Just in general across the country, church attendance isn't where it was. Mm -hmm. And uh, now emerging from the pandemic, we're pretty happy to to be gathering again. And our our numbers are starting to rebound. And that's that's great. But, um, yeah, but I think it's hard to trust people when you see all these scandals one after another, you know, we, we don't trust politicians for that reason. So we see scandals and it's hard to trust pastors. Yeah. Scandal after scandal. Yeah. And partly at least one of the things that I think part of it too, at least the distrust is the politicalization of the church also. And so in seminary, uh, I think it was history of the church pastor, uh, not pastor, teacher, sorry. He was talking about how Europe and the secularization of Europe, how Europe used to be pretty much 100% Christian. Mm. Uh, but, and he was talking about some events in the 40s or something like that. Like um, the World War II? I, yeah. <laughs> no, it, but it wasn't. It was something in like Hungary or one of one of the smaller European countries. It could have been related to World War II. But anyways, talking about how the political parties align themselves with the church. I'm pretty sure it was related to World War II. All I know it was early 90s. Align themselves with the church. And so it was sort of like this marriage of politics mm-hmm. and church once there was, you know, political division and war. And so what ended up happening is it worked out really, really great. Because at first the church was, you know, all gung-ho. They're with the politics. You know, everything was great. But then what happens after that marriage is the younger generation, you know, so the kids mm-hmm. watching their parents who are in the church, watching the church turn into this political machine, you know, the gas for the main political machine completely hits. Church attendance drops entirely drastically 
in the complete difference was in between the generations. So it's not like the church, you know, just slowly declines, you know, because of this or that. Yeah. It was a complete generational difference because the second the church became too tightly uh, connected to politics is when it started yeah. uh, to decline. And obviously politicians are the least trusted. And <laughs> right. so, and I feel like that's what's happening here in the United States too. And that's partly why the church is in decline, at least my uh, perception of it. And I think it's happening on both sides of the spectrum. There's churches that are aligning themselves to uh, the left side of the political spectrum. There's churches that are aligning themselves to the right side um, and sort of using that religious fervor and passion uh, for political ends. Yeah. Like, I really care about this political issue because God does. Right. right. And right. so when tying these political issues into church issues, uh, history says that your kids are going to leave the church because of that. And so I think that's partly what's happening, partly why we're losing trust too, at least here in the United States. And I don't see that changing because we're getting more politically isolated and polarized and the church is just walking down that terrible path. Most, And I say the church broadly. I'm a part of the church, you know, right. so I'm not casting stones from the outside. Uh, I don't know. That's just one of my theories on why this is happening, this loss of trust in pastors. I think I think there's a lot of truth in in. Anytime a church aligns itself with a political party or a political agenda, it um, is off mission. Yeah. You know, uh, it, to stay on mission, uh, we can't be uh, as good as an agenda might be sometimes. And, mm -hmm. and, and I might be sympathetic toward an agenda. Uh, I have a mission and, and my mission is to make disciples. Yep. And, and that's, uh, you know, anything other than that mission um it, it it might be worthy of someone's time, but it's yeah. but it's below the church, and so I can't get too distracted. And, and so we, as a church, and and you as yeah. a church, we've tried to really uh, be very very careful not to go down those bunny trails because they are death traps. They are. You know, there's a snare in those bunny trails, and uh, and it, it's it never ends. Yeah. like you want it to. Um, and that's why one of the reasons at Skyrocket and here at Blue Mountain Community Church we don't host anything political. That's a part of our, you know, DNA statement is right. so important to us. It's in our DNA statement, even though behind the scenes, I know we've talked like, Oh yeah, I would agree with this political route, but it is not belong here right. in God's place, you right. know, in the church, regardless of what side, regardless of how great of a cause it is, you know, yeah. that's not going to, we're not going to give a platform. I, I don't remember the exact wording, but I don't know. That's something I'm really proud of. You know, yeah. our churches for standing on that point, because it's something that, you know, a lot of churches aren't doing yeah. and it actually helps them grow in number, but it's going to hurt their kids yeah. who will fall away from the church afterwards. I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's a tough, and it's been a, a super tough climate to come through, especially with the political division of 2020 mm -hmm. and, and in early 2021. So, um, yeah, but we've been a purple church, you know, we, we've got red, we've got blue and, and we're kind of glad. Because I think we need to have people from both perspectives or we miss out on the, we get into our echo chambers and, and then we don't hear anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, let's go back to uh, <laughs> Europe. Great let's go back to, that's all right. Yeah. Let's go back to Europe. So I think, I think there's a lot more going on there. I think mm -hmm. war and, and we've got a war in Europe right now. Yeah. Um, I think war played into uh, the down word spiral of the church yeah. more than we understand. I, I think um, 
people who, you know, we in, in America, we didn't have, you know, towns being bombed and, and that kind of thing other than, you know, in, in Honolulu or, I mean, excuse me, in, you know, Hawaii. Yeah. Honolulu, I got the wrong town. <laughs> anyway, other than Hawaii, um, mm-hmm. you know, we never had our homeland uh, attacked. And uh, and I think when you see the, the ability for humanity to be as evil as it's been... Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you're thinking, okay, where was God and, and, and mm. why didn't God protect? And, um, and then you've got people on both sides who claim Christ and yet they're killing each other in, in such a way. I, I think, um, yeah. the end result, um, uh, is yeah. Church is, yeah. and you can't blame people for that no, either. You know, like if, if I put myself in their perspective, totally understand falling away from the church and honestly, even falling away from God. You know, in the sense that it's not that it's the right thing, but I understand it, you yeah. know, having because I haven't witnessed that traumatic of an experience. Um, there's a book and that's why, at least for me, one of the most inspirational books I've read is Man Searching for Meaning. Oh, yeah. yeah. By, by Victor Frankl. Amazing book. book. I would recommend it because he went through the concentration camps in World War II yeah. um, voluntarily. He actually could have escaped, but he voluntarily went through them um, and still maintained, you know, a sort of faith all the way through it and even afterwards, even though most didn't. And his perspective on why is just absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um, and inspirational, I think. But yeah, you can't blame people. So one more thing about this and then I'll I'll quit talking about it. So uh there was a huge theological shift too that took place in the church during uh right after World War Two mm-hmm. and it had to do with our view on end times because mm-hmm. on uh, the church historically uh has been amillennial and, and so they've looked at you know, end times and believed that, um, the, the idea of, uh, a millennial, uh, this 1000 year reign and that kind of thing was, um, was more symbolic than anything else. Um, but then once people saw that the world isn't getting better and, and we're not, usher, you know, the, the pre-millennial idea was the world gets better, better, better than Christ returns. Yeah. All millennial idea was that, um, Christ will return and it'll be judgment day just like that. And then um, the rise of um, post-millennial. It was the other way around. (laughs) I just totally blew it. Anyway, post-millennial. And and America was founded by post-millennials. I mean, people who believed that that a nation under God would would usher in the kingdom of God. Mm. And the world would get better. Mm. That's post-millennial. Then there's amillennial. And then Pre-millennial believes the world will get bad, bad, bad. The church will be taken out, and then the world will just kind of uh, go through this terrible, terrible time, and then the end. Um, But, but even our um, theology—not our theology, but in in terms of the voice of the pre-millennial—has rose from from that Hmm. war. Yeah, I think that the world is just going to continue to get terrible all right and, worse and, and worse. as bad as it's going to get well the church will get taken out which i'm all millennial personally i don't know what you are <laughs> but you might uh, not. so all millennial you're it's not going to get worse 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 it's not going to get better 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 it's just gonna it might get worse it might get better yeah um so that's my, not the point my yeah my perspective on it is that pro- i'm a firm believer through my studies of the bible that prophecy is cyclical um, and so what that means is the prophecies of revelation, the prophecies that we experience in the Bible, um, 
most of the time, and this we experienced this in Isaiah, that a lot of the prophecies that foretold Jesus also yeah. f- foretold the kings that were there, you know, in ancient Israel, but were fully fulfilled in Jesus. So they're partially fulfilled, okay. but then fully fulfilled with Jesus. And so I read all of these prophecies, and I, you know, I think that we can draw connections. You know, that these deep biblical truths. Um, that they happen time and time again. I'm not saying that time goes on forever. Yeah. I think that, you know, f- for example, I think the people that experienced the Holocaust, that was an apocalypse to those people sure. during that time sure. in that region, 100% that fulfilled a lot of that biblical prophecy. And I think we'll keep experiencing these cyclical fulfillments of biblical prophecy until entire fulfillment is reached. And so I don't know at what point that is. So I guess yeah. what I'm saying is, is I don't even know if I am pre post or ah, um, that's just the way that I view sort of the world as far as getting better or worse. Cause the hard part is I was raised in a theological tradition that the world is getting worse, 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 worse. When you look at statistics, it's not right now. Right. So hunger is actually declining. Uh, hunger is at, global hunger is at the lowest amount it's ever been. Actually very, very few people, not few, um, but when you look historically, it was like over 50%. Now it's like 10% of the world is hungry, yeah. um, which is incredible. Yeah. Like, that's amazing. Right. You look at hurricanes and earthquakes, you know, even disasters. Violence. Yeah. Um, it was going up in the 90s. Yeah. It's actually declining in the 2000s. And yeah. so it's sort of hard when you make this case that, oh, natural disasters are, you know, they're increasing and the world's getting worse. The world's getting better. <laughs> so that's the hard part is like if you're rooting for the world to end, which also has a bunch of bad theological implications to this escapist theology. Right. Um, but there's also bad implications of the world's getting better and then Jesus will come um, because that's just not how it works either. So. Pretty so, much what I'm saying is I don't know what's going to happen. All I know is that prophecy is being fulfilled before our very eyes. Um, and I don't know if this is the final fulfillment of prophecy or yeah. just one of the many fulfillments of prophecy, if that makes sense. So you're sickle millennial. Sick, sick, sickle. sickle ah, never mind. That's going to be a buck coming to you in 20 <laughs> years once I'm old and wise. Right. <laughs> well, uh, friend of sinners, um, actually, this is probably my favorite image of Jesus Hmm. Um, because uh, maybe that's because I need him to be my friend the most. Hmm. Maybe, maybe that's where that, that comes from is, is just my own personal need for, for someone Hmm. to understand me, someone to uh, walk beside me, to sit with me. And, uh, and Jesus is the fulfillment of, of that more than any human uh, ever could be. And so, I love that, and 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 it was my favorite, probably of the series so far, to kind of try to unpack. And uh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, hey, that's uh, we we've run down a lot of bunny trails today, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, well, we're a little bit. Uh, the video might look a little different today because we are uh, Justin is uh, is not here, and so we're recording on a. Yeah, so thanks for place. flexing with us. Yeah, but, um, right. Yeah, right. Uh, next Sunday is Palm Sunday. That's is it. Yeah, Palm Sunday next Sunday. So. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so all right. My, my inner calendar is all. But yeah, let us know in the comments or just talk to us if you like us going more on bunny trails or staying more on topic. I don't know. Yeah. We're new to all this. Yeah. Right. I like the bunny trail personally. <laughs> <but> hey. <laughs> all right. Hey, thanks for joining us. And Monday matters. So, Monday matters. I've got. We're supposed to. Sing I've got something. nothing else to say. <laughs> all right. We're not going to sing the jingle we practiced. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do that. All right. Thanks for joining us. We'll t- uh, we'll catch you next Monday. Hey Nate.
funny trail there today, but that's all right. Man, we just basically had our 